Welcome to Your Career Podcast, the podcast that helps to ensure your career success. To start getting on track with your career, download my free career goals calendar from thecareersacademy.online. My goals calendar includes a smart goals template and a weekly tasks sheet that will ensure step-by-step you get closer to reaching your career goals. So download my goals calendar today at thecareersacademy.online. Now on with the show. Business operations should own their risk, should identify their risk, should manage their risk, and therefore control their destiny. So, so my view was, and, and the reason why I set up proximity in the way that I have, is that there is an opportunity, I think, to equip people in the first line to better manage risk for the organisation. My view is quite strong. Everybody is a risk manager. We all do it. Whether we think we do or don't, we all do it. We buy insurance for our car. That's a risk management strategy. We wear the seatbelt when we drive. That's a risk management strategy. So everybody's a risk manager. Mm. What I think we need to be able to do in organisations is help those people in the first line, the business operations, better understand how they can apply risk management uh, strategies to get better results from the, from the business. So I sum it up as reduce uncertainty, maximise results. Welcome to Jane Jackson Careers, a podcast that takes your career to the next level. Here's your host, Jane Jackson, author of Amazon Careers bestseller, Navigating Career Crossroads. Welcome back to My Careers Podcast, where I interview fascinating professionals who've made amazing career changes. Now, today I have on the show a very interesting gentleman, Anthony Wilson, who is the founder of Proximity Risk and Assurance, a niche consultancy focused on equipping frontline business employees with the training and skills to perform their role in risk management. Over the past 10 years, Anthony has been the general manager of risk and safety, then the chief audit executive at Woolworths. He holds a master's degree in management from MGSM, a master's in risk management from the University of New South Wales, and is a graduate member of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, as well as a member of the Institute of Internal Auditors. He's the founding member of the Risk and Insurance Management Society, better known as RIMS, in Australasia, and a member of the Risk Management Institution of Australasia. He's a man who knows all about risk. He has been involved in establishing core capabilities in key areas such as procurement, acquisitions, licensing, program management, and the establishment of enterprise risk management. Anthony is also a non-executive director of the Woolworths Employees Credit Union and is chair of its board governance and remuneration committee. And Anthony is committed to assisting organizations realize their true potential through great risk management, which protects and creates value. So let's welcome Anthony to the show. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Joe. Yeah, Thank welcome, you, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having was, me on. Yeah, I was getting a little bit tongue-tied with all these risk words. But anyway, I'm very glad to have you here because I'm really interested to find out all about your career journey, how you became a risk professional, and then an independent risk consultant running Proximity Risk Assurance. So how about just to kick us off, 
Let's start from the early days and you tell us what you were thinking about when it came to careers when you were a little boy. Well, it was uh, quite clear in my uh, little boyhood uh, that I wanted to be a pilot. So um, I had aspirations from about the time I was about four years old, I think. I forced my parents to take me out to the local airport and watch every plane arrive and every plane depart. So, uh, yeah, piloting was the, uh, was the thing for me. Um, I uh, intended to join the Air Force. And uh, when I got to that stage of graduating from the HSC, I missed out by one mark uh, in getting into the Air Force. So... Uh, I was uh, moping around and I was working casually at Woolworths at the time and the manager said to me, hey, listen, we've got a, a management training program. Would you be interested in that? And I said, oh, well, yeah, sure, let's have a look. And um, some uh, 30 years later, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it was okay. I've, uh, I've had a, a long career with Woolies. Wow. Okay. And, and yeah. so, I mean, how, how did, I mean, must have been a little bit disappointing when you had your heart set on piloting. However, I happen to know in your private life, it's, it's one of your hobbies, isn't it? It is. So, yeah. uh, yes, about 10 years ago, I, uh, I decided that uh, I still wanted to fly. So uh, I went and took uh, lessons and uh, now own my own aircraft. Uh, much to my wife's chagrin, uh, <laughs> I get to fly whenever I like, which is fantastic. Oh, tell me a little bit about the, the flying. What, what aircraft have you got? So I've got a Beechcraft Bonanza, which is a six-person uh, single-engine aircraft, very reliable. It's the world's longest-run production aircraft, so it's very successful. Um, and um, one of the things I really like to do with it is um, angel flight. So I don't know if you've heard of angel flight, but yeah. where um, people have a medical condition, um, not serious enough that they need the air ambulance or the, or the Royal Flying Doctor, but where they might be getting treatment for, say, melanoma or, you know, uh, kidney treatment, dialysis, um, and they need to travel from far distances into the city. So Angel Flight uh, volunteer pilots will go and pick them up, um, fly them to the city for their treatment, and then fly them back home again. It saves them four or five or six or seven hours in a car, which can be very uncomfortable for them. Oh, what a fantastic way to make make your your hobby or your passion yeah. something that's going to benefit the community as well. That's Absolutely. that's that's amazing. Yeah. And so, well, being a pilot, I guess you've never jumped out of the planes, have you? <laughs> yeah. Why jump out of a perfectly good aeroplane? <laughs> I know that's what I used to wonder as well. But many many years ago, I've jumped out of a plane. Oh, three planes I've jumped out oh, of. Really? Yes. A, a, what was it? It was a Cessna one seventy two. Yes. Twice and a. A DC, oh, what is it? The DC three, the yes. the one where the the back open opens yes. up, and yes. you, sort of, oh, you know, very scary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that was in in the old days when people had to wear the old sort of World War Two um, parachutes with, yes. the, with the reserve in the front, the and front. and you had a static line for the students. Yes. It wasn't the tandem jumping. Yes. So yeah, that was kind of scary. But the third third jump, I had a little accident and I frightened oh. myself. So I thought I might not do it again. <laughs> but yes, why jump out of a perfectly good aeroplane? And so I'm glad that um, you've been able to fulfil that that boyhood passion for mm. piloting. But now let's find out about your career journey. You joined Woolworths and you've had a long career within Woolworths, obviously in ever increasing roles. Tell me a little bit about how things changed as your career progressed. Well, uh, the good thing about working for Woolies was that it, it, it was, it's one of those organisations where um, people are really important. And I know lots of organisations say, you know, people are our greatest asset. The good thing about Woolworths was that you can carve out a career um, in a specific niche, if that's what you're particularly interested in, or you can take 
a bit more of a general management approach and, and take on different roles and responsibilities. So after training um, as a management trainee initially, uh, I was able to just work through various roles. So uh, everybody starts generally in an operational role. So learn to manage departments within a store, then manage a store, uh, then become a supervisor of various stores, then become a regional manager of, of a large group of stores, doing that traditional operational path. Um, I guess then I had the opportunity to do something slightly different and there was a uh, major project going on in Woolworths called Project Refresh, which um, was quite inspirational at the time. Our, our CEO, Roger Corbett, um, decided that he wanted to restructure the entire company and rethink the way Woolworths did business. Now, this was a pretty brave move when you're considering Woolworths was the number one uh, operator in the, in the market and was at the top of its game by a country mile to any of our competitors. And Roger's philosophy, which I still remember to this day, is that you know, if you're on top of the heap, there's only one way you can go, and that's backwards. So he wanted to reinvent and, and you know, trigger that next phase of, of growth, which was fantastic. So to be involved in that program was, was great. Um, and I guess it gave me a little bit of a taste for um, the work that's done in support office environments. So I'm not sure about other businesses, but there can be a bit of tension between those that do the doing out in the operational world and those that are in the support roles. Um, but it gave me a really good perspective of how important some of these support roles are in actually making the whole organisation successful and enabling the operational managers to do what they need to do. So really supporting them um, in their goals. So, yeah, uh, you, you said in the intro some of those opportunities that I had and, um, you know, running the procurement uh, function. Believe it or not, Woolworths as an organisation as big as it was or is, um, had no procurement function, so starting really? that from yeah, so starting that from scratch was uh, was a, a steep learning curve, and and I guess all the opportunities I've had in Woolworths have probably featured that element of, hey, listen, this is something completely new for you, you probably haven't done it before, but get in and and learn it and and give it your best shot, and that's been a fantastic thing. I love learning all the time, and that's been something that's been facilitated um, throughout my career in Woolies. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, having been such a large organisation and so many different departments around which you could either progress to or rotate to would yeah. have been amazing. So, so from from helping with this this transformation within Woolies, how did you get into risk management? Um, well, I guess uh, I'd been doing some um, rather interesting work. So, some of that project work, like Project Refresh. Um, also, another big program called Program Jupiter uh, was another one that Woolworths undertook, which was very much um, transformational and, and, and leading us in, in new directions. Um, at that stage, I was uh, running a function called Liquor Licensing and Acquisitions, which is very, very boutique. Um, mm-hmm. And that was about getting the BWS and Dan Murphy brands established. So mm-hmm. that was a fascinating role. And as you see today, they're both very successful businesses. Um, and my part in that was acquiring the liquor licences that you need to run those businesses. Um, part and parcel of that was also the acquisition side. So um, acquiring uh, liquor licences or outright businesses uh, to bring into the Woolworth stable. So a lot of that, in, as you would imagine, entailed risk management, yeah, understanding uh, how those businesses were performing, uh, understanding what 
some of the issues were around them and understanding their uh, value. So being able to put a price on how much we'd be prepared to pay for some of those things. Um, at that stage, the um, opportunity for the general manager of risk and safety role uh, came up. Um, I remember going through an interview with the director of HR at the time, uh, which was quite fascinating because nobody had told me what it was about. And, and uh, <laughs> she wanted to grill me on why I wanted to be the general manager of risk and safety. And I said, well, up until about three seconds ago, I didn't know that that's what I was being considered for, but that's fine. Let's go from there. So, um, yeah, listen, that was that was a, a great opportunity. Um, Roger Corbett was the CEO at the time who confirmed that appointment. And I was just fascinated by the scope and depth of the role. So um, at that stage, my responsibilities in that role included the safety of people. Um, and that might sound... Yeah, so what? a lot of people have that. When you think about people in the Woolworths context, there's 200,000 employees, there's 40,000 contractors that can be working in that business at any time, and every week we have 28 million visits by people called customers. And the safety role was responsible for that group of people. That was an incredibly big role. Um, I also had things like workers' compensation management, uh, public liability claims management, uh, the enterprise risk management, which is the thing that got me to where I am today, and the thing called risk financing. So others would know that as insurance. So uh, a very broad role. So, um, yeah, fascinating. Um, absolutely uh, tweaked the, uh, the the risk interest in, uh, in me then. Yeah. And so was it after then that you decided to go on and get your um, degree in risk management and then the master's in, in management as well? Yeah, uh, the other way around. What, what the, came uh, first? Yeah, the Masters yeah. in Management came mm-hmm. first. And, mm-hmm. and Woolworths had done um, a wonderful uh, service to its employees. And any employee could apply for any level of training. So you could do a diploma or certificate or whatever. I stupidly put up my hand for a Masters. But um, this was in partnership with MGSM. Uh, and they had a fantastic program. Woolworths was such a large client uh, to them that they actually came out to Woolworths and did the university lectures there periodically. So um, great program, able to do it with peers, uh, different people in the different parts of the organisation. So that occurred in uh, 2008, I did that. Um, and I was in uh, early days of the risk management role at that stage. Um, subsequently, after having done the, the Masters in Management, I you know got to thinking more and more about it. And by the time I'd been into the role for quite a, a while, I thought it would be nice to have some formal qualifications um, in risk. So I investigated the possibility of doing that, uh, talked to the CEO about it. He was superbly supportive. He said, absolutely. Um, No hesitation, um, enrolled and and away we went. So that was an interesting uh, part of my life as well. Yeah. You know, so interesting the way careers progress. And then, you know, when opportunity arises, you know, rather than thinking, oh, no, I'm afraid or I haven't done that before. It's so much better to say, oh, be open and be really curious about it. And think, you know, here's an opportunity. Let me take it with both hands and run with it and see how it goes. And, you know, from procurement to safety and acquisitions, and you must have learned so much. And it would have made it really rounded out your career as well. And now you've found yeah. something that you're so passionate about and obviously so highly skilled in that um, it's become yet another 
career journey as well. Absolutely. So, so move, moving, moving on in Woolworths then, so, so an ever-increasing role within the risk area. So you must have found that really fascinating. Um, what, what, what did you enjoy the most about the risk role? Um, there were so many things, to be honest. I, I, I mean, one of the, the things that um, really captured my attention and uh, motivated me to make a difference was where our safety performance was at. So, uh, you know, whilst it wasn't a disaster by any means, it wasn't great. And I guess uh, we had a very inquisitive board, um, the senior management team that, you know, wanted to know where, where we were at, why we weren't better. And if you benchmarked us against um, global best practice or other industries, we didn't always stack up that well. So, uh, for instance, if you took the mining industry or oil and gas exploration, if you talk about a measurement like lost time injury frequency rate, um, which they use to try and get a common measure across industry, you might find mines and, and oil and gas at one or two LTIFR. Mm-hmm. Woolworths was at 20, right? Now, it's sort of counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. If, I'm, if I was asked to go into a mine and I've never been in one, uh, I'd be really worried. If I'm going into a supermarket, I'd be thinking, well, what can go wrong? And, and I think that was part of the problem. Mm. So we initiated a program we call Destination Zero and onboarded the staff to come up with the initiatives and get the staff involved in how we could make a difference in safety performance. And that was really pleasing because for five years, year on year, we improved by 20% every year. Uh, so we really, really got uh, a great result out of that area. But, you know, that was just part of it. I mean, ironically, one of the things that was really enjoyable was whenever we had a crisis. So, you know, big organisations have things happen. And as the, as the head of risk, you're also the head of the crisis team. So when something goes on, you convene the team. You know, the CEO and everyone's there, obviously, but, mm-hmm. but you coordinate it all. So managing through some really challenging crises, um, we had five people in Mumbai uh, when the terrorists uh, took over the Taj um, at Land's End, um, we had uh, several stores uh, affected in the Christchurch earthquakes. Mm. Um, now, they're not great events, don't get me wrong, but but having to manage through those and the experience of managing through those, coordinating people and responses uh, is just fabulous. I mean, as you've said, walking away with those experiences, um, uh, you'd be horrified if you hadn't taken the opportunity uh, to get into these new roles, even if it is new and different. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think with, with managing risk in, when it's such a like a major disaster as well, there's so many things to think about. If you don't have someone who is a an expert who's able to stay calm under pressure, which you must do. I mean, obviously, because everything's so time sensitive, it's deadline driven. There's probably yeah. a lot of panic going on at times yeah. as well, and that's when risk needs to be managed the most because mistakes Absolutely. happen during Absolutely. those you know sort of very volatile, high tension, high worry uh, times. In fact, today you, you you may have heard it was it was interesting. Um, I live in Cremorne, and um, the military road was blocked off all all morning because right. they were demolishing a building, and they found that there was asbestos um, at three in the morning, and right. Um, we, I went across the road and you couldn't go into the gym because everything was just, just blocked off. And um, the, the, the workers were, I think they had to strip off and, and cover themselves up with some sort of special blankets and they were spraying some sort of sticky glue st- 
stuff all over to, to dampen all the asbestos um, fumes or, or particles that were yes. floating around in the air. It was just, I mean, it could have been a major disaster. Absolutely. Um, and so I guess the risk team must have, you know, come in and, and sorted it out. But for a lay person like myself, you wouldn't even know where to begin. Yeah. Whereas you probably go into sort of, very cool, calm and collected mode. Yes. Think, okay, what is it that we need to do? So there must be systems in place in order to sort this stuff out. There, there, there is. And, and uh, the, the best thing you can do, even if you're not a crisis expert or haven't experienced it, is think through it before it happens. The last thing you want to do is to be making up these rules as the crisis is unfolding. So you have to rehearse, you have to document things, you have to clarify roles. Um, it's got to be really clear going in. So uh, we regularly had a desktop exercise where we uh, simulated an emergency, um, had everybody in the crisis management team around the table, and they all played their roles as if the real crisis was unfolding. And we did variations each year. So, for instance, the CEO was unavailable. He was on a plane, you know, and someone else has to make the big decision. So if you practice, 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 um, you've got a better chance of handling the real emergency once it, once it comes up. But if that's the first time you're going to think about your crisis management, yeah, it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, well, you don't really want to do trial and error in these no. cases, do you? No, absolutely not. <laughs> You've got to have option A, B or C, and one of absolutely them is going not. to work for sure. Yes. And yes. So, so how long were you in your, your very senior risk role within Woolworths? So just over five years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, ran that function for five years. So we... Um, we had uh, quite a large team um, in that time. So we were around about 227. Uh, we were present in all the states and territories and in New Zealand. Um, and, uh, yeah, we had people from uh, insurance expertise, uh, claims managers, um, safety people, uh, enterprise risk people, all those sorts of skill sets. So, yeah, five years of working with a, with a fantastic team. Mm. And now you've made this transition into yes. entrepreneurship. You've set up your own risk consultancy, Proximity right. Risk and Assurance. So now that's a very long business name, but, but <laughs> <laughs> it's everything that obviously Absolutely. you need to do. First of all, the word Proximity Risk and Assurance. How did you come up with the name? Um, when I was thinking of a name, I wanted something a little different. Um, and, and there are some some cute names out there in risk. I I wanted to talk about the concept or have people think about the concept of proximity as in understanding your risks, keeping them close to you. Um, so I, I think there's a negative connotation with risk naturally that says, you know, risk is a bad thing that can happen to us. Um, and that's not the case. Uh, risk has upside as well. But regardless, if you keep your risk close to you, then you better understand them, you better manage them, you better mitigate them you better um, react if something changes in the environment. So proximity to me was about knowing exactly where your risk is and being cognizant of it, uh, therefore better able to manage it. that's why the uh, the proximity name. Yeah, good name. And I've seen your logo and I like the logo too. <laughs> so so now tell me, what, what prompted you to set up this consultancy and how did you know there would be a demand for your services? Um, I think one of the things, and, and you know, my, my time in Woolworths uh, gave me a lot of insight into where I thought there was still opportunity. But I've been very fortunate to belong to several forums that featured the heads of risk, chief risk officers, um, those sort of people. 
and also later um, the chief audit executive forum. So I was able to speak to a lot of organisations, and these are mainly big, you know, blue chip companies, and talk to them about where the opportunity was. And, and pretty consistently, people felt that the investment in risk management and risk capability has traditionally been targeted at what we call the second line of defence. So people in the risk function itself or in the quality function or the safety function um, tend to get the training and the development and, and the attention. And their role is then to support the first line of defence or the business operations with their risk management activities. In reality, I think there needs to be more investment in the first line. Business operations should own their risk, should identify their risk, should manage their risk, and therefore control their destiny. So, so my view was, and, and the reason why I set up proximity in the way that I have, is that there is an opportunity, I think, to equip people in the first line to better manage risk for the organisation. My view is quite strong. Everybody is a risk manager. We all do it. Whether we think we do or don't, we all do it. We buy insurance for our car. That's a risk management strategy. We wear the seatbelt when we drive. That's a risk management strategy. So everybody's a risk manager. Mm. What I think we need to be able to do in organisations is help those people in the first line, the business operations, better understand how they can apply risk management uh, strategies to get better results from the, from the business. So I sum it up as reduce uncertainty, maximise results. Oh, fantastic. I mean, definitely much, much needed. And yeah. so once, once you set, set the business up, and what are your, who are your typical clients that you like to work with? Um, I tend to f- see the medium to large enterprise as, as those that are uh, most relevant. The smaller organisations certainly need to manage risk, just like everybody else does. The challenge is that they don't generally have a lot of budget to you know, go out and hire consultants or do those sort of things to get that support. Um, I'd like to, and I will in the fullness of time, develop some tools that small businesses might be able to use. So just self-select, do an assessment of their own situation and take some actions from that without having to hire, you know, a consultant to come in and do that. But my, my target business is generally a medium to large enterprise. Now, they may have specific risk management capability already, or they might be early on in the journey. So the idea is to help them uh, advance their risk uh, capability or or risk maturity, as they call it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so say if I was a medium-sized business and I was thinking, "Mm, I really think I need to put in some some risk management methodologies in place or some processes in place just in case, Um, and we decided to call you in and we had proximity risk assurance to do an audit of our our business. Can you um, talk me through the process that you would take a medium-sized business? Yeah, sure. I I think the the first step we do is have a look at what's already existing. One one of the biggest challenges with risk, I think, is getting people across this philosophical mindset that, oh, we don't need risk management or it's going to be expensive or it's a heap of things we're going to have to do that are going to cost money. Uh, take away management time on running the business, those sort of things. And in a medium business, uh, a medium-sized business, you, you can't really afford too many distractions to be going and doing additional um, things. So the first thing we would do would be to have a look at the landscape of what's already in place because like with you and I as individuals, medium businesses will have risk management philosophies and strategies in place. They just don't call them that. Mm. So they will have 
a, a safety process, uh, uh, a process for identifying hazards in the workplace. They'll have a tolerance for spending money or capital. That's a risk management strategy. So what we would do is actually document some of the things that exist in the organisation already and say, hey, listen, you're already on the journey, right? So, you know, don't think of this as something new that you have to do. Just think about where you're at today and where you want to be. Uh, not all organisations want to be at the peak of the risk maturity curve. They might want to be a three out of five. And that's fine if that suits their organisation. So part of our process, identify where you're at initially, identify what the opportunities might be, and then talk about where your desired risk maturity is. Then we can start to work together in, in identifying what steps that might be. And that might be something that that organisation goes off and does on its own, or it might be something they want a little bit of help with. But th that's at a high level, the, the methodology. Mm -hmm. So what would be a typical assignment for you? How long would would a project last? Or or do you, do you are you retained on a retainer basis to do a, an annual audit? Or how, how does it exactly work if someone takes on proximity risk? It, it's going to be different for every organisation. But generally what I would do is have a discussion with the um, engaging party. So that can be a different individual across different organisations. So... Uh, sometimes it might be a CFO who's been given the risk uh, responsibility and needs some help, or it might be uh, a company secretary, or it might even be the CEO. Um, but I'll talk to that person initially about what they're trying to achieve. So um, getting that understanding then helps me understand, you know, where they want to go with this. Typically what I would do then is paint them a picture about what the whole journey might look like. Now, depending on where they're at, that could look pretty big and scary and, and, and I guess in their mind, expensive. So I don't want to talk about that necessarily. I want to give them some insight into what that might look like. But initially, I want to focus on just the first stage. And the first stage is usually that um, engagement of key stakeholders, talking to the staff, talking to some board members, if we can do that, and that's the case for the organisation, to get an idea of, of what their appetite is for this work, uh, where they want to be, um, how much they're willing to invest in it, do they see the importance of it? That first stage, you know, could be a matter of a week or a couple of weeks. It's not a big um, task, but out of it comes a report that says, hey, listen, this is what I've seen. Uh, these are the opportunities. This is the word that I'm getting from the stakeholders and not identifying anybody, but this is the feedback I'm getting from your own people. Um, so there is or there isn't an appetite to, to move forward. Once that is sort of presented back to the organisation, they can then have some discussion internally and they usually take some time just to think about what the next steps might be. And then we can talk about what subsequent stages might look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it very much sounds like you can handhold them as much as they need uh, to get to the desired outcome. So, so running your own consultancy, I'm back on my career coach hat sure. here, running your own consultancy, setting it up. Now, there are so many challenges to setting up your own business. Mm. What was difficult? Um, I think the interesting thing was, especially coming out of a large organisation, was to find yourself all of a sudden the chief IT officer, the, the director of HR, <laughs> the uh, treasurer, uh, the payroll clerk uh, and the cleaner. So um, I, I guess you realise all of a sudden that you, you had a lot of support uh, in, a, in a big organisation. And when you're out on your own, 
uh, you have to do a lot of things for yourself. And, uh, you know, that can be from designing the website and getting that up and running to getting your email clients and, and all of those sort of things. So, um, and the danger, I suppose, Joan, and you know this better than I, but the danger is to get stuck in those details and that minutia and forget that you're actually got to be out there talking to clients and selling the business and doing those sort of things. So I guess the most difficult thing, and it's it's something we can all manage and overcome, but the thing you've got to keep in the back of your mind is balance in everything. So yes, you have to spend some time on the admin. You have to spend some time on the paperwork, but you've also equally got to make sure that you continue to work on the pipeline, new clients, new opportunities, um, and keep exploring and um, researching the field. So risk management, like every profession, continues to change and evolve. So if you're going to stay at the top of the career, you've got to keep educating yourself and, and enhancing your knowledge. And, uh, you know, I guess balance is the, is the challenge. It's yeah. been fun, though, I've got to say. It, um, for all the, uh, the grey hairs and uh, sleepless nights, uh, it's actually quite fun to do. Um, you know, it's a challenge, but it's fun. Mm, yes, and I know that you enjoy the business building side of things because you too, Anthony Wilson, has set up your own podcast. I have. And tell me about your podcast. So uh, uh, I, uh, I was uh, inspired by your example, Jake. So uh, <laughs> I decided Thank to set you. up a podcast. Uh, it's called Mastering Risk. Um, it's available on iTunes and Stitcher. And um, the, the podcast is aimed at getting the audience exposure to uh, chief risk officers or, you know, heads of risk or, or people like other consultants potentially that, that play in the risk management space and hear their opinions about current topics, the challenges in the industry, uh, different ways of approaching things. Risk is like many other um, professions where there are lots of different opinions. There can be some confusing terminology. There's different approaches to things. So I think uh, if I can get uh, enough CROs and, and, and risk participants into the, uh, into the conversation. I think it'll make a very interesting forum uh, for people to hear about the latest thinking in risk, pose their questions. I'd love people to submit questions or topics they'd like to hear about um, and, and just get the risk discussion to be a little less mystifying. I think one of the disservices that the risk profession does for itself is makes it very complex and has lots of jargon and, you know, um, it just it doesn't lend itself to easy adoption. And, and I think we can demystify a lot of that through the podcast. So that's the noble goal. Uh, mm -hmm. Hopefully we can achieve that. No, I think it's going to be really interesting because hearing so many different viewpoints as well and what's worked well for some and what hasn't worked so well um, and actually sharing ideas from all of you who are leaders in, in the risk field is going to be yeah. so valuable too because you can get the word out to so many more people. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it, podcasting is, is an excellent way of really spreading the word. So, yeah. Anthony, what would you say are your top three tips for success in your line of work? Uh, perseverance would be the first one. So I think, um, you know, everybody will get knocked down or knocked off the horse or whatever you want to call it. But the secret is to jump back on again and try even harder. Um, you know, life's tough. It's not always fair. Uh, you know, somebody out there gets that promotion that you thought you should have got. Whatever else, you know, just get back on, try hard and, um, you know, don't, don't let these minor setbacks uh, knock you around too much. So that'd be the first thing. I, I think the second thing is, and 
and, and, and I'll defer to your expertise, but I, I, I see that there's two paths you can take in life. You can be very prescriptive and focused on a career goal and everything you can do, uh, sorry, everything you do can be focused on achieving that. So you're very single-minded, uh, you plot a path and everything you do is to get to that point and you let everybody know about it. Um, very, very focused. Alternatively, I think there is the path, and it's the path that I took, is that explore opportunities, as strange or as wacky or as unexpected as they sound. Give yourself the license to go and have a crack at something and and learn something new. And, you know, I, I call it the very specified path in the first case or the general management approach, if you like, in the second case. Learn lots of things, experience different things, um, and use that to broaden your skill set. So that would be probably be the second one. Um, and the third point I'd say is just surround yourself with great people um, and preferably smarter than you are. Um, you know, just get some really good people around. You really do learn from the people that work for you. Um, you swap ideas, um, you know, and they help raise you to a high level as well. So, uh, you know, great people are unbeatable. Yeah, yeah, valuable advice and and definitely surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals who are yeah. doing very well in their fields as well because that way you can, you know, you form partnerships and I always think there's so much power in partnerships. You know that Absolutely. saying, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, then go together. I I always think that's that's so, so very, very true. And so now it has been such a pleasure talking to you. We need to tell people where they can find you. So Anthony, tell me, where are we going to find you if someone Someone needs risk management advice. So there's a few options. So um, my website is www.proximityriskassurance.com.au. So it's a bit of a mouthful, but uh, you'll find me there. Um, also via LinkedIn. I'm on uh, LinkedIn and my contact details are there. Uh, my mobile number is 0404-829-040, should you want to chat. Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, and that handle is at risk uh, at for risk c b so that is the number four uh, risk and then the capital letter c and then me so uh, that's a way of getting possible to see if you really want advice um, and as i said uh, uh, the podcast's up in live and i and i give my contact details at the end of each podcast as well so mm-hmm. uh, yeah it would would welcome any of your listeners jane okay, Just that would be wonderful. And, and and having a chat and be more than happy to you know, have an initial chat and, and do that as a, as a free of charge thing. Catch up, have a discussion, learn about the challenges, see if there's anything I can do to help. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I just want to mention that Twitter handle again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it will be in my show notes on janejacksoncoach.com. You'll be able to read them all because it'll make it easier. Because I, I, I have to tell everybody that you and I had a little bit of a confusion about your handle. I was saying, I can't find you on Twitter. Is it see me for risk or for risk see me? It is at the number four risk C the letter C, me. So you're going to have to come to my website to see the handle to make sure we get it right. And I will, I will tweet, I will tweet this, this podcast all over the place, Anthony. So people will see you anyway, which would be great. And so tell me, where is the next flight going in your Beechcraft? Ah, well, I'm hoping uh, to do an angel flight soon. I'm actually, I've actually been asked uh, to go and present to Probus um, uh, near where I live. I'm at, I'm at Terrigal. And uh, the Probus organisation um, has uh, graciously asked uh, Angel Flight to 
come along and speak. Um, Angel Flight is not supported by any government or anything like that. It relies completely on private donations. So um, I've, I've humbly been asked to uh, go and present on Angel Flight, what they do, how they do it. And, and I'm hoping to give uh, a, a good um, rendition of what I've done, some of the flights I've taken and um, yeah, share some of that journey with the Probus people. So I'm hoping to do another angel flight before that. That's coming up in a few weeks time. And uh, yeah, take uh, somebody that needs some medical attention where they need to get to and in as much comfort as possible. Mm, that's so wonderful. I, I, I love it that you combine, um, it's almost like conscious capitalism in a way, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. doing what you can, um, not only just through your business where obviously you're managing risk, but also helping others who are at risk. Uh, with with your with your passion for flying so Absolutely. thank you so much for coming on the show anthony i really appreciate your time this evening and um, i look forward to hearing how proximity risk assurance progresses and um, we'll have to have you back on the show in about six months time or so sounds great thanks for your time Jack. <laughs> okay. today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com you can get a free audiobook download and free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com forward slash Jane Jackson Careers. There are over 180,000 book titles to choose, so give it a go and get your free audiobook today from audibletrial.com forward slash Jane Jackson Careers. You've been listening to Jane Jackson Careers. Sign up to receive regular career advice at janejacksoncoach.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Your Career Podcast, I invite you to check out my career success program at thecareersacademy.online. The Career Success Program is the original program that uniquely provides 24-7 on-demand career support and fortnightly live career coaching sessions to keep you on track to reach your career goals. It is the essential resource for anyone who wants to manage their career effectively, make a career change and land the job they'll love. Whether you're in exploration mode or seeking a new career direction and need help to make it a reality, the Career Success Program is for you. Not only do you get access to my step-by-step roadmap to navigate your career crossroads, my extensive training library and exclusive members-only discounts and tools, you'll also become part of my supportive community of professionals who will help you with feedback, encouragement and advice. All this and more makes the Career Success Program the number one place to be for anyone looking to start, manage and grow their career. Check it out and join me at thecareersacademy.online.